Welcome to the Faith Today podcast, conversations inspired by Canada's Christian magazine. Thomas Schermacher is the new, very recently installed Secretary General of the World Evangelical Alliance, an organization that serves more than 600 million Christians around the world, which is a lot. My name is Karen Stiller, and I asked Bishop Thomas how so many people can agree, they don't, if evangelism is changing, and what those of us who live in the West can learn from the church in the global South. I hope you enjoy our wide-ranging conversation, and please look in the show notes for a more complete bio of this highly accomplished leader who will undoubtedly be a very busy man in the next few years. So welcome, Bishop Thomas. Yeah, thank you all much. My first question for you is the most obvious, but probably a big question, and that is, how can there be one organization that speaks for 600 million evangelicals with 134 national alliances? That sounds so big and so complex. How does the WEA do it? Well, my f- my first answer would be that it is not by chance that all the largest non-government organizations in the world are Christian. Ah. <laughs> um, because, yeah, it starts out with the New Testament. The New Testament local church is organized. Yeah? It elects somebody to represent the lo- local church. And, I mean, even if you take a Catholic local church, it's organized very similar to even a present church. I mean, the Catholic Church has then all this, uh, this, this people above uh, the local congregation, but also local Catholic Church has people that are elected from the people. And then the pastor normally is heading this council. And that is unusual for religion. Yeah? We inherited this, of course, from our Jewish friends. The synagogue was organized as well. It has to do with the way how we do services, which is in a very organized way. No matter whether you have a liturgy or you say everything you do twice is liturgy already and want to <laughs> want to do everything in you. So even, let's say, a present church that doesn't have any clergy still is quite organized. Yeah, And uh, this is the reason why Christianity, in all its form, Even so, we split and split and split. We are still well organized around the globe. And so I'm not astonished that the largest organization, of course, is the Catholic Church. But there is nothing similar to the World Council of Churches in Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism. Yeah, And so WA, the World Evangelical Alliance, is the least organized group in the sense of we have a very flat hierarchy We have no commander-in-chief, we have no pope. Um, As I said in my introduction, in in the handover ceremony, we have a paper pope. So I believe the Bible is is what holds things together, but we have no person on top that decides what to believe. And even if I suddenly would state that Jesus is not the salvation, I just would be out. Nobody would say, <laughs> oh, he is the Secretary General. Yeah. Right, so, right. And then, of course, I have to go back to history. The Evangelical Lines started as an idea in 1846, bringing together, let's say, strange diversity of people, because you have to see an Anglican priest in 1846 and a Salvation Army lady officer 
at that time was felt as diverse as it is today. We have got used to the lady in the Salvation Army, but therefore we have the, say, the Pentecostals and a much wider range of groups that did not even exist by then. And yet the idea was to come together, number one, for prayer. And um, all the prayer movements we have are well organized. They are networks. Of course, they have no, again, they have no Pope. Nobody commands us to pray, but nevertheless, we can organize global days of prayer, etc. It was mission. And the idea was very much to keep division out of world mission. Mm-hmm. which included to agree where would missionaries go uh, so that there would be no duplication, etc. So I think it's not by chance that we are the oldest. Some people would not like uh, the term ecumenical movement. In the moment, we call this intraface relations. Yeah, But actually, it is an ecumenical movement. And even the World Council of Churches at least half of the parts that were put together in 1948 actually come out of the history of the Evangelical Alliance. And so we are around for quite some time, the number of countries in which we are grew. Some unexpected countries like Turkey, for example, that goes back to the 19th century already. They are still with us as the uh, Protestant churches of Turkey. And so it did not come in place overnight. And since then, the number of countries has been growing. Under my predecessor, it grew from 129 to 140. And if God gives me enough time uh, and health, I hope to go for the last countries that are still missing. So what is the main reason now that a national alliance would join or that a country would create a national alliance back at the beginning, I guess it was around mission. Is that still the driving? Yes, that's still the driving force. That's no question. Um, we still have the Mission Commission around in the Department of Mission and Evangelism. And uh, there still is the idea that division is hostile to mission and evangelism. If somebody wants to become a Christian, he cannot become a theologian first and distinguish 300 different forms of uh, being being a Christian. But I think it has grown far beyond this because uh, if, if you have such a large number of people, you have a responsibility whether you like it or not. Yeah, Some people question, for example, whether we should have a relationship with the Vatican. I know can say Catholics and evangelicals run into each other everywhere in the world. On the smallest island, they run into each other. And it's just to be responsible that we do not bypass each other, but we talk to each other. Whether Mm -hmm. we agree or disagree, we will find out. And I think the United States has proven that we do not automatically only do good things. And I think with with our responsibility, we are also responsible for to be a global body and help each other. Yeah. Of course, we have countries like Papua New Guinea, uh, other countries where we also have evangelicals in, in a leadership position in politics, which have a much better record than, than uh, we have it in the moment in the US or in Brazil. Well, I would love to dig into that a little bit. 
have evangelicals around the world or the reputation of evangelicals around the world taken a hit because of what's been happening in the States? Like I know in Canada, and we're the closest neighbors, of course, I think we are a little more hesitant sometimes to even use the word evangelical, even though we do. Well, let let me be very clear. The World Evangelical Alliance uh, is not a motor company selling the car evangelical. Okay, good. So whether you call yourself evangelical is not of importance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Some people even count evangelical with a very narrow definition and say it's Mm -hmm. 300 million evangelicals. How can Mm -hmm. it be 600 million? Well, the 600 million are members of churches that belong to a national alliance. And whether this church calls itself evangelical let, let, let's say Pentecostal churches. I know Pentecostal churches who would say we are evangelicals and within evangelicalism, we are Pentecostals. Right. Yeah? Other Pentecostals would say, no, 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 we are Pentecostals. And okay, we agree with evangelical theology. I really do not care. We work together. We pray together. We are beside the Catholic church, the largest group that has intercommunion. Go to any evangelical church and you're invited to the Lord's Supper. Nobody will say, but you, uh, you, you say this the wrong way around, so you cannot be part. Number two, the term evangelical has very, very different connotations in different countries and even more so in different languages. Mm. So you have to see that I would guess in one third of the world, evangelical still just means Protestant. Okay. Yeah. So in Turkey, Protestant church and evangelical church, that's the same. In large parts of Latin America, evangelical still is Protestant. And even if sometimes the Vatican speaks about the evangelicals in Latin America and that so many Catholics become evangelicals, they actually mean Protestants in any form. There are countries where the term has a very positive connotation. I mentioned Papua and New Guinea. And people would say the large number of evangelicals is the reason that this is the only country that more or less has preserved its rainforest. And this not only today, but for a long time already, there are countries where evangelical has the connotation very much connected to religious freedom. Even in the UK, I recently had saw a newspaper and a trainer of some soccer team was called to be very evangelical. And I was amazed. I got the newspaper and yeah. tried to understand it. it. It meant he is for personal relations. Okay. Yeah? So he is not uh, a technocrat, but he likes personal relations. Yeah. So that's very diverse. Yes, the uh, situation in the US had a devastating result everywhere in the world. If I take here in Germany, we would read in the, in the newspaper every day how bad evangelicals are. Despite of discrimination laws, etc., it always was the evangelicals, which, of course, in the media is utter nonsense. Because what the, by the best they were speaking about were white evangelicals. The number never included Afro-American and Latino evangelicals, who, of course, like all their friends, did not vote for Trump, but opposite. Of course, it's cheating because in the U.S. you are asked first, are you an evangelical? Then you say yes, and then you are asked whom you did vote for. And many evangelicals who did not vote for Trump would not say that they are evangelicals. So just by the 
polling, the number would go up and up. Nobody was interested in this. And of course, you know that, let's say, the uh, National Association of Evangelicals, which is our part, they did not have an easy stand, no question. But you cannot blame them for having fully been part of the uh, Trump system. Yeah? Yeah. Most evangelical top leaders that were so close to Trump, independent, uh, were TV preachers. Yeah? The, 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 the traditional evangelical churches rarely showed up in the, in, in the White House. Yeah? All this was not in the media. They just used this. And so that was devastating here. The amazing thing is that at the same time, it reminded evangelicals all over the world that it is part of our DNA, that we are not in favor of a Christian nationalism, mm -hmm. not yes. in favor using the state to help us to push our morals on other people. I think the positive effect was at least as immense as the negative effect. I know several countries where, where you had people going a similar road that are shocked where that leads. I mean, the end result is that if evangelicals thought they could win a little bit, they by the best did win it for four years, and now they are losing more th than they had before this all started. Yeah? Right. And look into history, that always has been the case. That's why World Evangelical Alliance even has been started. If Christianity or the morals of Christianity are forced on people, it's always the church that pays the price in the end. Yeah, well, thank you. That is a very refreshing answer. <laughs> I really appreciate that. And it's a great reminder of that the church is not the U.S. church and that the evangelical world is far, far broader and more diverse. And you mentioned some great examples I know that the majority of the world's Christians, we all know this, I think, live in the majority world or the global South. I would love to hear from you, from your perspective of just knowing the stories of these churches, what the Western church can learn, do you think, the most and the best from the church in the global South now? Well, this that's hard to say, because let's say evangelical now, the evangelical church in the West is learning high speed from the church in the global house. I think there are many examples for its theological education. We are amazed how closely personal spirituality and top quality in a theological school can be in Asia, in Africa. And I think it's really getting over into our leading theological schools in the West, that studying theology cannot be just a pure academic exercise. If you train just for becoming pastor, nothing more, still a pastor is not somebody who has learned something from the books, but he has a spiritual life himself and is going to train others to have the same spiritual life. And I think that that's learned very much. I also see, I have to say, there is a huge influence by more conservative churches on their mother churches. Uh, you can see this in the Anglican Church, the fact that the Anglican Church has become quite conservative all around the globe has the result that the, uh, the conservative branch of the Anglican Church in Western countries, the UK, Canada, even the US, is larger than at any time before. Australia, very good example. 
Yet the thing where I do not see that the typical Western mainline church is learning, that is the split we have on moral topics. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday I spoke with the bishop of the Bulgarian Methodist Church, and we discussed the, uh, uh, the upcoming split in the Methodist Church. And I asked him, well, do you have the split in your country? And he just laughed. No, he said, that's, that's a typical Western. Some people would even see Bulgaria as, well, at least as a European country. Yeah? Yes. And um, the, the Methodists go a very nice way. It's like a, like a peaceful divorce. Uh, with no <laughs> with no lawyers involved yeah nevertheless it's a real pity that in the west this seems to be the only model there is to by the best peacefully split and i can see this here in germany that the uh, traditional churches they do not sit down and ask themselves why are the lutheran churches in africa without exception no longer follow the road of the lutheran mother here in germany but stand up for traditional set of Christian ethics. And I wish that churches in the West would be willing to learn this and not just follow the uh, political correct agenda of our governments. I'm not downplaying the need for huge discussions. Nothing ever has been settled in, uh, among evangelicals. Everything has to be discussed and found in you not only in every generation, every five to 10 years, because we have the Bible and we have to prove from the Bible that this is true. We cannot tell the Pentecostals, we don't want you because you are new. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, they are not new any longer, but we have new ways of revivals. We cannot tell them that must be wrong because you haven't been around 100 years. We either have to look into the Bible and find out, okay, yeah, that's something that we need to study. Uh, You can prove that this really is not Christian. And so I'm not saying everything is fine on our side, but I regret that the gulf Mm -hmm. in the churches in the West that come out of former state churches or the mainline tradition and the evangelical churches is getting bigger and bigger, while in the global south, it's really diminishing. Yeah. How how do we disagree well? Like I was thinking about this earlier when you uh, mentioned the paper pope, so scripture. But I I know to even come to agreement from scripture can be so difficult sometimes. I would love to know what you've learned about disagreeing well. Well, no, number one. I would say we have a built-in problem in the world evangelical lines and evangelicals as such. In 1846, the original confession of the evangelical lines said that the Bible is the supreme rule of all questions of doctrine and faith. We are used to that. But at the same time, it said, and that, of course, was very vital at that time. We have got used to it, but it was vital at that time and not a given Every believer has the right and is obliged to read scripture for himself. And that always has been, call it pietism, call it puritanism, call it revival, call it salvation army methodism. Yeah, That always has been in the center that every believer is part of the body of Christ discussing the truth. And those two things do not fit each other. 
because and and our enemies concentrate on the one side they say oh they are fundamentalists they have this bible what they do not understand is that we are the greatest club for debates in the world because everyone i sometimes joke and say we have 600 million popes <laughs> and every evangelical knows what that means Yeah. And it's hard for my Catholic friends, the, the priests, to understand that if I preach coming in with sec, uh, several doctoral degrees, etc., if I preach in a church, every believer afterwards can ask me or even criticize me and say, I think this cannot be found in the Bible. Or Bi my Bible says otherwise. Right, yeah? right. And I cannot say, wait a minute, don't you know who I am? You can't criticize me. I have to give him a solid, good biblical answer. Mm -hmm. And we are in, in discussion. Yeah? So we have those two sides. The one side goes even back into the Reformation times when Martin Butzer opted for house churches or house meetings without pastor. And you can follow this evangelical line. Nobody called it evangelical, I know. But you can follow this line all through history. Just ask, did, did a clergy... A trained theologian need to be present when people would study the Bible and you know you will have a Catholic, a Lutheran, whatever background. The evangelical trace is the house Bible study group. Until today, you know, you can, you even can be an unbeliever. The Bible is open and you say what you think. Yeah. Sometimes one can get very nervous with what is said there, but this is where it starts. This is the center. And that means we have an ongoing debate. It never will stop. Mm -hmm. yeah? The interesting thing is that because of this ongoing debate, we have a much larger unity than, for example, the Catholic Church. Even so, the Catholic Church has a clear order from above what you have to believe. It's a clear set. But there is no way to assure that the single believer actually believes this. If you ask me how that is possible, that a traditional friend of liturgy in the Anglican church sits together with um, a pastor of the Assemblies of God and they study the Bible together and despite all their difference, come to very close conclusions. I think that this really is, is a gift from the Holy Spirit. I think the truth is the Bible is not the Bible. It's even not just the word of God but it has been inspired by the Holy Spirit and he still is around. Yeah. Otherwise, I cannot explain this. Yeah, And I believe that this has to do with the most loved thing for evangelicals, which is the conversion. Right. I have a very broad heart in what a conversion can be. Yeah, I think we have to be very careful not to be too strict what that is and how you prove it. And uh, there are so many let's say, strange stories how people become Christians. Nevertheless, I believe that the secret of what I called the DNA in my speech in the handover and saying evangelicalism is the enthusiasm, but also the search for the DNA are things which the Holy Spirit puts into our heart when he reveals God to us. So let me give you an example. The Trinity, from my perspective, for long would be dead if it would depend on that we teach us well in our churches. Mm -hmm. yeah? We have millions and millions of people believing in the Trinity who cannot explain any details. Where does it come from? 
my experience is people that become Christians automatically know that the Holy Spirit exists. Yeah. yeah? They cannot give you the details, but they know the Holy Spirit is there. They know who Jesus is. They know God is the creator. They know the Bible is the word of God. They have not heard anything about all the complicated debates on, on what that means in detail. But I've experienced so many people who thought it's just a book, became Christians, and from then on, it was God's word to them. They would read it every day, and if you would get them into a debate over is, uh, inerrancy, something like this, they would not actually know what you are talking about. They just don't know the debate, but they know it's, it's the word of God. And I think that this kind of DNA of Christianity really comes into our life when the Holy Spirit reveals to us who God is, who his word is, who Jesus is. He teaches us the love for all this. He teaches us the love for the church. More or less everyone that becomes a believer wants to meet with other Christians. Nobody needs to tell him that he should do this. And I like Pentecost where the people ask for baptism long before Peter had finished his sermon and told you have to repent and you have to baptize. And so say, someone new would have to come. And I think the closer we are to this DNA, the more we are united, mm -hmm. the more we got outside of this. If we want to discuss what church structure is the best or is biblically, then we have to realize from bishops on one end, in the Anglican and the Lutheran churches that belong to us, to the present churches who do not have any office. Some versions of the present churches don't have any office. We have everything there. And I even would say everything represents something you can find in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Because the New Testament also has both a very strong leadership on the one end and a clear message that everybody in the church helps to lead the church And of course, elders are elected. And that means that everybody in the church is part in selecting the leaders. But if we go into this, our unity automatically is an end. If you want unity around liturgy, you will not find this. Yeah, right. We have an incredible variety of what, what we do on Sunday. Or some even don't do it on Sunday, but at, at any given time. But I think it's this kind of DNA that assures that we stay together. Bishop, you mentioned conversion, how our idea of what conversion looks like can maybe be a little more open than maybe before, or for you it is. I'm wondering, therefore, about evangelism and how it might look different now. Like in the circles I move right now, we talk a lot about hospitality as evangelism and just you know coming alongside and that people can, of course, belong at church before they believe. And I just wondered if you could speak to that a little bit about how evangelism might look different today. Well, I think that on, on the one side, it's DNA of Christianity, or at least DNA of the evangelical movement, that you have a personal relationship to God, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit. This is often laughed about, The reality is that it has brought to us one of the most influential political principles in history, that is religious freedom. Because we are deeply convinced that it's absolutely wrong to force somebody to be a Christian. God wants us to love him, to trust him, to have a relationship with him. 
And that's for me not childish or just emotional, irrational. It is just how our faith is built. And that automatically means there cannot be something like a state church in the sense that uh, citizens are automatically members of the church, whether they like it or not. And this, of course, <laughs> comes to the point that is very obvious in all the churches that have a Baptist system, which includes, for example, the Pentecostals. Of course, they are not Baptists, but they have a Baptist understanding of baptism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the others in the evangelical movement replaced it by confirmation. And again, this starts in the 16th century with Martin Busser. And you will find this in pietism, in puritanism, everywhere. You had the point where the young adult was asked whether he wants to believe, whether he wants to stay in the church. So that's something that belongs to all of us, the conviction that it is good that we raise our children in the Christian faith, but that they are not automatically members of the church, whether they want or not, but that there has to be a point. The Baptists say that's the moment for baptism. Those for pedo-baptism say, okay, we can't use it, but nevertheless we have. And the funny thing is the Baptists now have a kind of second uh, sacrament, I cannot say. They want something when the baby is born. So they have some ceremony in the church Right. And um, and uh, dedication. And, uh, yeah, dedication. And, and the other way around. So there are those two things. And we are uneasy if nothing happens, either when they are born right, or when right. they become adults. Yeah. But that means that it is this personal relationship that is our interest. Mm -hmm. How you got to it. That's that's the second question. And I cannot see in the New Testament any given standard way how this happens. If you wanted to do this, then you would have either to follow Paul, who fell from a horse, very difficult if you have a car. Yeah, I mean, if you go through all those stories, the um, minister of finances from Ethiopia, where an evangelist showed up on his car, opened, uh, opened the Bible. I mean, we have very, very different stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we have stories that sound as if somebody after a long decision-making process took a decision and we have others where it just says the Holy Spirit fell off them and they knew everything. And all this you can find still today. Yeah, so it would be very cautious. Then it's often hard to say backwards, looking backwards, mm -hmm. where the conversion is. Uh, some years ago, about 10 years ago, we had this, uh, you would say, sect, heresy, of Herbert Armstrong, the uh, Worldwide Church of God, originally the Radio Church of God. And for some reason, this old man, I think it was 89 when he died, he told his son, don't believe anything because I said it, study the Bible, which they never had done. I mean, they always took the quotes of Herbert Armstrong. So they came to us saying, we want to learn how to study the Bible. Can you help us? How do we read the Bible? Make a long story short, the whole movement became an evangelical church and is a member of the NAE in the US of the evangelical lines here. A lot of people got lost on the way, no question. But now the question was, people would ask me, I became a Christian through the message of this guy. I decided to serve God from this moment on. But today I know what I believe by then really is not fully Christian. When did I become a child of God? Hmm. 
then when I decided I want to follow God, or many years later when I studied scripture and together with a lot of other friends understood who Jesus really is. All I could say is, you know, it's about the relationship with Jesus. You can ask Jesus when you come to heaven. You never find out because for this, you would have to go, say, one year before your second conversion, or how you call it, and die and see where you <laughs> end up. <laughs> yeah? So, so that's, that's the, the real question. I cannot answer it, but I also would be hesitant to guarantee that they would have been without Jesus before. Yeah. Yeah. I would be very hesitant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't have to decide this. And um, I know that, well, it's Protestant, it's evangelical to believe that everything is God's grace. So even I, when I come to heaven, I'm sure there will be some points in my theology where I will say, oh, dear, my dear, yeah, you were so convinced about it and it just was wrong. Yeah? Yeah. And I believe that, uh, that we do not only get to heaven with sin, but also with theological, how you call them, holes or, or mistakes uh, or whatever. And I've changed certain aspects of my theology during my life. So I'm convinced it was wrong what I believed before, but I'm sure I would have gone to heaven anyway. Yeah? Yeah. So I think we should concentrate on this. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. It is the belief that Jesus forgave our sin. If I take myself, I have a nice conversion when I was six. At university, I got into deep problems with my face when I was 19, studied and studied, and finally decided to stay with my childlike face. If somebody asks me, what is your conversion? I, as a good evangelical, will quote what happened when I was six years old. Yet I know that at that time, I had no alternative. I did not believe in it because I had studied other things. It was just the face that my family had. I really liked Jesus, yeah? So, okay, but, but I'm glad that there came a time when I had to take a real decision, knowing now what is, is on, the, on the market. And if somebody would want to know why I like Jesus, I would have to tell both. Yes, yeah. yeah. I'm very eager to tell people, don't denigrate what I did with six years. But at the same time, I also have to admit, because of religious freedom, that's not enough. If somebody blames me later and says, okay, you had no chance and you just did this because uh, you wanted to be nice to your parents, I cannot prove them wrong. What I know is that I really loved Jesus from then on. And that even in the Bible, a childlike faith and that you know what you believe are just two sides of the same coin. Both is pushed for in the New Testament. Believe like children as much as don't be like children, but know what you believe. Yeah, yeah, that is so helpful. Okay, and, and this also comes down, sorry. No, um, go ahead. Your, your, your question on hospitality. Yeah, so how we, do we go about this? Um, when 2006 to 2011, we discussed the Vatican World Council of Churches, WA, discussed this document, Christian Witness in the Multi-Religious World. And we had a big problem finding a good term for evangelism. 
because evangelism has a different meaning in the World Council of Churches. The Catholic Church, it means reaching out to baptized people. We then often would say re-evangelism. A mission has all kinds of meanings. So we opted for a New Testament term, and that is witness. It's not the only term, but it's a term. And I like this very much because it shows what is happening. When we evangelize, we do not read the truth to other people. So I always joke, you go to a marketplace in India, um, you know Greek, so you quote Jesus from the Greek. It's the original, it's the truth. You preach there and you say, okay, I've preached the truth, bye-bye. This is not, not, not the biblical concept. Yeah? Right. The biblical concept is witness. That means you take the never-changing truth and you combine it with your own life. You tell what this truth meant for your life, and this is what you tell to others. And therefore, this can be done in many different forms. I do not question, let's say, the, the big rallies of Billy Graham. I know many people became Christians. I know there are times and places, even today worldwide, where this is the best way to do it. Here in Germany, I grew up with this in the 70s and 80s of the last century. We got thousands and thousands of people to events like this. Nowadays, you don't get anyone. But at that time, and I know there are other countries where this still is a very vital way to, to it. I'm not questioning this. Even so, already then it was known the people coming all had some friend who brought them. But the reality is this can be done everywhere. And it is vital that the person you talk to somehow gets to see the life of a Christian, because yes. only then it's witnessing. Yeah. yeah? There is no, there is no, okay. I mean, there are people who become Christians because they have a New Testament in the hotel and they read it and become Christian. Of course, God can do what he wants. But for the believer, the standard way always is to connect it to real life. And the more of this real life, the friend he wants to witness to gets to see the better. Yeah, yeah. And therefore, uh, we have gladly enough, meanwhile, many, many different ways to do this. And so even witnessing in social media can be much more personal than other ways in which you are in the same room, but you just preach to the other one and there's no connection to your life. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. That's very helpful. I like that idea of the truth combined with our own stories and our own lives and our relationships. I, I find that very helpful. Yeah. That's it, witness. God does not want us yeah. to tell the truth, but he wants us to witness to the truth. Mm -hmm. That means that we ourselves say, I have experienced this, I love this, I, and I recall a meeting of a very liberal church with tens of thousands of young people, and they wanted me to debate up there on some theological question. It was a hot debate, no question. I went there because I knew the young people are interested to get to know from me about my personal relation. So we argued about the Bible and somebody mocked about the quiet time. Yeah, I said, okay, it's no law, but okay, a lot of people do it. <laughs> and then I mentioned, uh, I said, for an evangelical, it's a natural thing. When he wants to talk to God, that he opens the Bible, because we believe God is speaking here, uh, to open our heart for a topic we want to talk about or God wants to talk about with us. 
the young people, their interest was, no question, are you really talking to God? Do you have really have a relationship? The question is the Bible, the word of God, which was supposed to be the central topic, inerrancy, all those kinds of questions. They were fascinating by me telling them, I really speak with God. That is what interested them. And this is witnessing. It's not saying the Bible is the word of God. And sometimes I look into it. Yeah, right, But right. to say, I live with the Bible and I'm happy with this. Um, I once read a Catholic document. They have changed it. Meanwhile, we have gone for that. But at, uh, about 15 years ago, a Vatican Commission wrote that evangelicals are those people who think they find solutions for problems in their life in the Bible. And I said to them, that is one of the biggest compliments you can make to an evangelical. The, the Bible is not just the word of God and that's it. Yeah, We really believe it changes our life to the good. And of course, that can be misused, uh, that you think certain mental illnesses can be healed by, by learning Bible verses or so. I, I, I know. But for us, this is a compliment because we believe there is no truth without us witnessing that this truth has changed our life. Bishop Thomas, thank you so much. I, uh, that is a great place to end today and an encouragement to us all. So thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.